was the company Conair mad about this movie or happy about it? Do you think it affected Conair's I don't, online? I don't know, but my wife has Conair products, and every yes. time I see that... Wait, there's Conair as a company? It's, yeah, it's like it's, hair dryers and stuff. Yeah, it's Oh, like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. like grooming accessories. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Nick Cage had such great hair in this movie. <laughs> Welcome back another season of a free podcast we are starting our third season here i'm your co-host rob and joined as always by my good friends joe and duff hello yeah we're back we are back season three of the midnight boys present a free podcast this season's theme is the summer of 1997 and our first movie. Well, let's not let's not get to our first movie yet. Let's talk about the theme, shall we? So, summer of '97. We're all between the ages of 13 and 15. And it all would have been the summer before high school, if I'm not mistaken. We all yeah. get, we all started high school in the fall of '97. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So here we are, summer of '97. We have a lot of different movies to talk about uh, on the slate. We have uh, Con Air today. Next week, we're talking about My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, then we're going to be talking about Conspiracy Theory. And then uh, we're going to finish it up with G.I. Jane. And then, of course, we'll talk about this later, but we will have our listener's choice option for the last uh, the last episode. But summer of 97 really, truly, truly was an incredible summer for movies. Yeah, I, I don't remember how exactly we landed on this. And... Truth be told, I don't know if the movies this year were any wackier than other summers, but it sure seems like it. Um, But I think for me, this was kind of the last summer where you just had such an extreme amount of free time. And it was just like, let's just go to the movies all the goddamn time. And just like every... Any chance we got, we'd just go see, like, whatever was playing. It Probably, like, the summer of 96 and 97. Because it's kind of before everyone had, like, part-time jobs. Because it was kind of... I mean, I guess you could have a part-time job, but kind of weren't that old to do that yet. At least that's what I recall. Also, I feel like we're probably kind of hitting a sweet spot between, like, going to movies, maybe for dates, perhaps, but also, like, shortly after this, these movies are hitting uh, VHS, and we're, you know, renting them and watching with friends that way as well. Yeah, this was, and it was it was kind of the very beginning of DVD culture, too. Yeah. That these were, these would be some of the first movies to be on, D, on DVD, probably. So, 1997, uh, Con Air, uh, the the picture the picture for today came out uh, June sixth I believe nineteen ninety seven and uh, let's let's go back let's go back in time and I'm just give you a couple quick hitters about what's in our minds potentially in June of nineteen ninety seven okay guys let's get a little serious first uh, Timothy McVeigh <laughs> was just convicted of fifteen counts of murder and conspiracy for the Oklahoma City bombing we were probably convinced we would never see a terrorist act like that ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, you you want to know what my most uh, have I talked about my Oklahoma City bombing memories before? <laughs> no, 
<laughs> you I haven't. I don't think so. My weirdly, my most vivid memory of that day, or it may have been a day or two after, is is watching on the news and Billy Ray Cyrus all of a sudden appeared <laughs> on a news broadcast. Okay. And they were like, uh, "Billy Ray Cyrus is here. Uh, what are you doing here, Billy Ray Cyrus?" And he's like, "I just." Uh, it's just such an incredible tragedy. I just came down here to just see if there's any way I could help. <laughs> and I'll never forget that TV interview. Uh, just Billy Ray Cyrus deciding, I'm going to go down to the, the site, see if I can help. Did he dig people out of the rubble? I don't know. I don't know. I just just remember like five seconds of that interview. That's all I can really remember. Uh, from that. When did that actually happen? Like 96 uh, or something? 95, 96. Yeah, it sounds about right. Thank I, you, Billy Ray Cyrus. Thank you, Billy Ray, for all you did uh, in the OKC tragedy. Um, also, in a Tim- lighter Timothy Timothy McVeigh would be on a Con Air if they ever moved him, which I yes. don't. I don't. Which <laughs> I don't. He's dead. No, is he? He was executed. Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought he was in that Supermax prison in Colorado, but maybe. Or, yeah. Okay. Um, got him. Also- <laughs> Guys, we got him. <laughs> Uh, also, he, was, he was executed in 2001. Oh, right. June before 11th. after 9-11. Two, exactly three months before. Wow. You make your own connections. <laughs> so uh, the first OzFest has kicked off in uh, 1997. Did it visit Somerset, Wisconsin? Uh, I, I'm sure it did. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Uh, and the number one song in America when Con Air it opens in theaters. Macarena. Is, Nope, Mbop by Hanson. Oh, okay. So that's what's that's what's going on. Uh, I'm that's sure at that age we all hated that song. Uh, no, yeah, it wasn't good. Probably, yeah. yeah. So that brings us to what we're actually going to talk about today. It's Conair. We go, you know, we all pile in the theater. We're going to go see this, and uh, we walk out of an R-rated Nicolas- motion picture. That's right. Big deal. We walk out of this Nicolas Cage film. And uh, I'm I'm guessing most people have seen it, but I've done my best here to write up a plot summary about <laughs> what happens in this movie. This one was difficult, guys. All right, that, which surprises me actually, because it's well. Well, let me know if I miss anything. Okay. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays Cameron Poe, who's an army ranger who goes back home uh, to his pregnant wife. Three locals attack him after he gets back. He ends up killing one of them in self-defense. He pleads guilty to manslaughter because he must have a terrible lawyer, and they send him away for eight years because they view him as a danger with his army background. He's such an elite operator <laughs> that he is this, just basically a walking weapon. Yep. Uh, he's released, and he is. Uh, he's eight years later. He's released. And he's going back, but due to whatever reason, he's riding on a prison flight with some of the worst criminals in the world. This includes such luminaries as Billy Bedlam, Johnny 23, Diamond Dog, and Cyrus the Virus. My question to you guys is, which is a better wrestling name? <laughs> um, uh, Cyrus the Virus is the best wrestling name. I yeah. like Billy Bedlam. I think Pinball Parker is probably the best one. Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> somehow yeah. we got to list Pinball Parker on there. Uh, Diamond, the prison- Diamond Dog is a David Bowie album, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. yeah. yep. and it's too similar to DDP. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Twenty Three is one of the guys that just gets one of the jobbers that He's gets just beat yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the prisoners. It's one hot- for it's one number one. It, it, it lists a number of seconds before he, he's pinned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The prisoners hijacked the plane and plan on landing it at Carson Airport to do a transfer dressed as guards and then escaping to a different country. At the stop, more criminals join them, including the tag team of Swamp Thing and Garland Green. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Poe is trying to foil this plan, and he's communicating with U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, who is played by John Cusack. Also, he's trying to find insulin for his diabetic friend, Baby-O. Bubba. Yep, Bubba. From, <laughs> that's right, Bubba from Forrest Gump. Uh, the plan for the prisoners is to land at an abandoned airstrip and switch planes, but the National Guard shows up. There's a massive shootout, and the prisoners escape on the plane. Larkin and others show up and attack helicopters and shoot the plane down. It lands on the Las Vegas Strip, crashing into a casino. Well, they don't shoot it down. Well, they shoot at it and force it to land. What? Well, they they force it in that they... I mean, you're right, but not in the way it sounds. Sure, you're right. They don't shoot it down, but they they essentially force it to land in yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, they're they're leaking fuel, so they from have, the attack. Yeah. Um, and then uh, thank you for correcting me, guys. Uh, so it uh, lands in the Las Vegas Strip, crashes into a casino. It's not over yet, though. Cyrus, Swamp Thing, and Diamond Dog escape on a fire truck. <laughs> It's so good. Oh, it's, so, it's so good. <laughs> Poe and Larkin get on motorcycles and chase them down, kill them. Poe is united with his wife and finally meets his daughter, who he has yet to meet. And also, for some reason, we learn that Graham Garland is now a Las Vegas gambler. Yep. The end. Isn't it Garland Green? Garland Green. Green yeah. Garland. Graham Go- <laughs> I don't know why I wrote you Graham Garland. Green, green Goblin? <laughs> so that is, if you've never seen... Uh, Con Air, that's why. That's dumb. Uh, but uh, now you know. Now you know what happens. If you haven't seen it, it is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> it's uh, it's probably my probably my favorite action movie of all time, it for sure. Just really? It owns. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it is. I enjoy watching it a lot. It is very stupid. It is. All action movies are stupid. No, I mean that's not all of them. What name one action movie that's not stupid? This is like a special degree. Like yeah, they're they're so a good comparison is I feel like Face Off is talked about more, which Con Air was, is better than Face Off. Was a agree. <clears throat> Con Air is way better than Face Off, I think, because Face Off Face Off is really fun in parts, but it takes itself really seriously, and you get bored. Yeah. Whereas, it, it, does, it does have it does have some slow spots. I'll agree, but I yeah. will not tolerate denigration of this, this movie. <laughs> this movie has like a casting call at the end where like they look at the camera and laugh of, of bloopers. Yeah. It has a blooper <laughs> yeah. reel. Yeah, it's great. Uh, also, this is, the, uh, this is pretty much the end of that era where you would show um, like brief uh, clips of the actors like smiling when it should. Like Predator has it. Ghostbusters I mean, I, has it. Yeah, so like eighties and not it wasn't happening very often anymore in the nineties. And this this I wouldn't be surprised if it seems like something that would be in a Fast and Furious movie, but I've never seen any of this. <laughs> it it does seem like those movies have gotten really self important and serious. They're about I mean, family, right? Yeah. I mean I mean they've always been they've always been that way, but yeah, it's about just family. Yes. <laughs> family and product placement. <laughs> I mean, Con Air's about family when you get down to it, and yep. the importance of insulin. Yes. So let let's let's just go back to the beginning. And what uh, one thing 
I do know that there was a how did this get made on this and I listened to it long ago. So if I accidentally subconsciously crib a joke from that, I'm I'm not trying to. Like I don't think I remember it, but Okay. Uh so there's a number of things I want to talk about just right off the bat. All right. In that um Nicolas Cage's wife did not could not get off work for when he returns home from war. <laughs> Uh, I I got the impression that to, he was surprising her to some degree. He got off like a shrimp boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lieutenant Dan took him to yeah. Took him home. So then he he shows up to the bar and is immediately just looked down on by these dudes who, like nowadays, would love anyone in the military immediately no, okay. immediately yeah, harass him for losing vietnam <laughs> let's let's go let's get into that okay so this that's that's happens in action movies all the time so there there's this weird like sort of cognitive dissonance maybe it isn't cognitive dissonance but i'm going to use that term anyways because it sounds smart on the one hand it this film is released in a with sort of an awareness that if we make this guy a troop the audience will automatically love him. Mm-hmm. They'll automatically know he is good and awesome because he's a troop, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. even make him an army ranger. Like, he's not just an, a guy. He's an elite, an elite troop. The yeah. troop. And they even have a weird montage about how awesome rangers yes. are. Yes. Comes. He, even though we haven't, hadn't won a war in, like, 60 years at that point. I, or my wife. But my we, wife. No, we just won Desert Storm, though. That's yeah. it's setting it up. Uh, we, that was, like, five years before that. Yeah. Wasn't it? the most recent one. I thought that, <laughs> that's I thought, a long time. But I thought they said he was in Desert Storm. Did they? Yeah. Did they say he was in it? Okay. My the, my uh, my wife my wife and I were watching this and and uh, she loves Conair and she realized that she never knew why he ended up in prison because I think she's always watched it on TBS and never saw the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Tunes it's, in. It's and so it's stupid. Like, oh, that's so, how he ended up in prison. <laughs> so it has this sort of awareness that if we make the guy a troop, everyone will automatically love him and respect him because he's a troop. Mm-hmm. But it also exists in a universe where it, it counts on the audience to believe that no one other than them respects troops. Yeah. It, so it's a movie where it it clearly establishes the character as a troop to make him loved, but also states because he's a troop, he is not loved. Well, this, yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about Con Air in this way. This movie has a bunch of weird dichotomies that way where, like, uh, the crooks are way more likable for the most part and uh, less uh, inept than the than the cops. By it's like, an, it's an anti-fascist film, and that's why it's the best. <laughs> because it's, it's okay, an, it's an about, uprising movie. Like, think about the, think about the era that this comes out in, and we're we're like in the peak of like um, like third way Democrat uh, <laughs> politics, right? So yeah. even like this is there's probably no greater time in American history where Democrats were ashamed to be liberals, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the only action movies where, like, the lib dude, John Cusack, is clearly right the entire time, mm-hmm. clearly um, the good guy. And just emasculated. And clearly, no, he's not emasculated. Like, the the, the Dumb and Dumber guy tries to, <laughs> but he clearly gets owned over and over again. That's not the guy from Dumb and Dumber, is it? Yeah. No, no, that, that's no, not, it's not. That's not Seabass. No, it's it's the Gas Man. It's not the Gas Man. 
It has to be. I thought it was too, and no, I'm pretty it's, sure it's, it's not the, the gas It's man. the guy from Star Trek. All right, I don't remember my point. I don't either. Uh, about well, anyways, about so John Cusack being right. Yeah, and he's right the entire time. And like, so the the really like the the most ineffective guy in in the film is the DEA agent, and he uh, just makes fun of tries to make fun of John Cusack the whole time um, <laughs> for being like a, a so he calls him like a sociology major or something at some point. Yeah, I mean that guy's an ass kicker, you know. Sure, his license plate says so, Joe. <laughs> Then it ends with the destruction of Las Vegas, and all this cash is liberated and redistributed to the masses. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in its evidence that, like, there, there's a joke in the beginning about, like, uh, there, there's several jokes about rehabilitation in it, and the sort of most of the the cops and guards and stuff who die are the most hard ass guys. But mm-hmm. how does the film end? Steve Buscemi's character rehabilitated, existing uh, in society. Well, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> he doesn't. He did. He he doesn't hurt the girl, and he's just we, having a good time at that. the craps table. Yeah, uh, you see her. Doesn't mean we didn't see what he did. Uh, oh, boo. come on. Also, you're gonna take the side of the serial killer. You're mm. you're saying he like finger blasted her off screen or something. <laughs> I did not say that. You implied Rob, it. I Rob Meany. Rob Meany here. <laughs> Are you a DA agent too? I'm just saying that I feel like this we give this movie gives a little bit too much of like I think Garland Green's okay kind of thing when like uh, he's not. Okay, yeah, well, so we're supposed to be funny. Uh, oh, he's so okay. Let's getting into it now. He is a weird character. He's a very have, fantastic character. Uh, he's my favorite one. Oh, what's wrong with him? He's like they're all killers. But like, he killed like thirty five people. So, so did so did the virus. So my thing yeah, is, but- they bring him on, and he, uh, at that point, he's no better or worse than the others. I think, and then you have this deeply weird, unsettling sequence where, when you're seeing it for the first time, you're like, "Oh no, yep. <laughs> something's yep. going to happen to that little girl." Yep. And then, and then as the plane takes off, you see the little girl, and you just like, "How are?" Is it supposed to be like, oh, ha ha, you fooled me. I thought he was going to, like, yeah. kill them. I mean, if rehabilitation is just you one-time encounter someone and don't kill them, it's a pretty low bar. He was around the pu- <laughs> the pure holy light of Nick Cage. <laughs> and I, I just, I never really, like, the stinger at the end, like, are we supposed to be, yay, the guy who is a crazy unhinged killer is okay and free, yay. Well, doesn't the same thing happen in The Silence of the Lambs? I don't know. Yeah, but you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to root for that necessarily. I think most. I think most people that watch that movie feel that way. They don't want to feel that way, but they feel like happy happiness that he's free. And they're oh, rooting I think for it's him. Scary, he's free. I, I mean, I I feel. I think you feel happiness that he's gonna go kill the douchebag doctor um, yeah. in Jamaica or whatever. That's true. You do. You do. Yeah. You do like that happening. Yeah. All right. So. Garland Green has split the midboy Midnight Boys apart here. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally, although he probably would enjoy that. He probably well, pre rehabilitation he would have. Pre <laughs> now he would just be a really now he'd be a really interesting guest. He seems really smart. He is really smart. Most serial killers are. Here's another question about uh Cameron Poe early on. Uh if those guys that he gets attacked from are black, there's no way he gets eight years. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, the the most the most. What's his lawyer doing? The most, his lawyer is terrible. <laughs> so first of all, the most unrealistic part of this is that a white guy goes to jail for accidentally killing someone. Yeah. Why, why does he go to Why does he go to federal prison? That's because if, well, if you commit a, if you commit it, is he on active duty still? Like if you commit a crime as I, a troop, is it no? He was crime? he was honorably discharged. Oh yeah, you're right, I think so. it's I think it's like they said that because of his lethal training, he is held to a higher standard. <laughs> Which I'm actually for. I think yeah, that we. Sh- I think I'm, I'm we should. I think that all army, police, whatever, like it's like you are held to a higher standard. With yeah. that. With that said, he had um, a good reason to kill that. With guy. that said, well, like he, there were yeah. he was attacked by three people, and was his wife not a good witness? <laughs> yeah, there was a whole bar where they originally talked to him, and like, and like, yeah, it's amazing. They're like, I don't know. He said, she said. What are we gonna do here? Yeah, there's and and he would have self defense wounds. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they beat the out of him. <laughs> it's and really it was, that's how you know this movie's good. It's and such it was a that guy's scenario. Knife. Yeah, it was even his own knife. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the guy ran away with it, so there's no, um, there's no knife. Also, on scene. all that happens under five minutes. Yeah. Like we we just bam. Like here's your setup. And then he's in prison. And by the way, there's stuff on fire in prison. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite moments. Yeah, yeah like the uh, uh, th- this is the scene actually that inspired the letter exchange in Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> yep, just just all of a sudden, just like the hallways full of fire and it's just like... constant riots. And he's talking to his daughter in letters of a first grade. Also, as a parent, I loved when she wrote a letter from like preschool. Like from preschool, yeah. she wrote a letter about her day, and I'm like, "There's no this preschooler is not writing her first day of preschool and wrote how, a letter to her dad." Her mom, her, care, her caregivers are helping her write a letter to her dad in prison. Yeah, that's a whole other weird thing. This movie, I think it's weird. Wouldn't you want to see your daughter? You're gonna go eight years. That that's a common movie guy thing, though. Where I, I don't want my daughter to see me in prison. I that's guess in a lot of like, movies, I get that. I think it's, I think it's from a different era. But yeah, I. I, I at least on it doesn't bug me as a movie trope. It, it is it is a movie. Trope. So I, I so you're to, so you're saying when you go to prison, you want your kid to visit you all, every chance he gets. I, well, I would I would want to see my son. Is all I'm saying. You want you, <laughs> <laughs> so you could smuggle cupcakes into you or something. So you want some so sour patch kids. Rob. So Rob is. I need my gummies. So <laughs> Sam, I need my gummies. Rob is Ray Liotta and Goodfellas, where like some dude is getting head right next to him as like he his family talks to him, and his son lifts up his pant leg and like eight packs of gummy worms come yeah. out. <laughs> I just think it's does does his wife ever visit? Did he go eight years while seeing her too? I'm assuming he did. Wives wives are not important in this movie. <laughs> That's true. Uh, they carry the children from one place to another. Here's my hot take. I don't think Cameron Poe really wants to see his daughter. <laughs> I, I just think he's a good friend. He is a good friend. That is the thing. He is a very good friend. He's going to do anything he can to get that guy's insulin. Bubba, Bubba needs his insulin. Baby oh, baby. Baby oh. Well, it's just a, that's a, a comment on the poor medical care <laughs> given to, to prisoners. He I mean, asked for a shot like 18 times. Yeah, and they didn't give it to him originally. Originally, when he's on the bus, before he even gets to yeah, the con like air, get it on board. He plane. hadn't even got a shot. He was supposed to the night before. I mean, they this prison system 
I, maybe it's I mean they might I guys I don't want to I don't want to have who too hot of a take but they might have dropped the ball here in a few things. <laughs> they also they also do some sly sly sort of foreshadowing of our current situation with insulin where no one can get it. Yeah, mm. yeah. One thing I was going to say is uh it seems like kind of weird that uh Babyo and uh Cameron are just kind of slotted in like do we even know what Babyo did to be in jail? We don't and yeah. we also is it really ever explained why they're like well let's save a couple dollars yeah let's so <laughs> let's put these guys so on the you, super max you, you have two guys you have two okay one guy whose sentence is done is yep. technically not really a prisoner anymore and then one guy who for all for all intents and purposes doesn't seem that bad and then yeah. you have them mixed in with people who would <laughs> probably be in you know like guantanamo like people like <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, they they be in the cell that Magneto is kept in, which is <laughs> yeah. like a giant glass box floating in space. Yeah, you have an odd mix of security levels that are required. Yes, the guy who's being freed, <laughs> the, the <laughs> nicest guy from like when you first meet all these prisoners, the nicest guy seems to be Pinball, yeah. and then he sets someone on fire. <laughs> After saying several racist things about Native Americans. Yes, yeah. and then he's like, if we get through this, don't hold this against me. Just set them on fire. As, uh, Dave Chappelle's talked about this movie, hasn't he? I know he said that he did um, improvise most of the lines. I will say it. it is uncomfortable at times where you have this like almost... I don't want to say comically, but just like comically exaggerated of how much uh, Johnny 23 is like, I'm going to get out of here. It's like, oh, all right, we get it. You're a rapist. We Also, he has this comment where he says his name is Johnny 23. And for every person that, you know, every victim, he has a heart for them. But then he's like, if they really know the truth, there'd be 94. And I'm like, well, why don't you just get 94 yeah, tattoos? Why doesn't you get the other tattoos? <laughs> yeah. You can get as many tattoos as you want, buddy. Don't dream it. Be it. <laughs> <laughs> the Johnny 23 story. Uh, yeah, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy, that Johnny 23. Um, also, uh, just a quick aside. Was this the movie where you guys learned about the fate of Leonard Skinner? No, but that's a really funny line. And I didn't why, know about it. That's why Garland movie. Green uh, is the best. I don't remember. Maybe. Uh, okay. It's a good bet. Yeah, I think that's where <laughs> Steve Buscemi, as a serial killer, taught us about Leonard Dro- Skinner. Dropping knowledge bombs. <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the Con Air movie. He's the, the serial killer Cliff Clavin, just <laughs> teaching us stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um. I have a I, I don't want to get into all of them, but I do have one fun fact, and I I kind of want to say it because I, I I think Duff may already know. Uh, so I'm gonna ask you, Joe. Joe, do you know much? Do Do you know much about the director of this movie? I briefly skimmed his like credits, but I nothing jumped out at me other than a lot of failure. Okay, aside so from this movie, this is his first movie he directed, and he worked obviously with Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm-hmm. He was he had previously. Uh, done music videos, including one music music video that I'm guessing you've seen. Duff, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Joe, do you have any guesses? Nope, no idea. Well, <laughs> well, what year? Like what era? Like in the eighties? Eighties? Yeah. Uh, what genre? Uh, pop. Would you say pop? Oh pop. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, 
Did he did he do a meatloaf video? No, no. Oh, You're in right. the ballpark of that <laughs> type. Um, so if I if I was to prank you, <laughs> yep. Uh, I might. Uh, Weird Al. No, no. no. This is oh, Jerky Boys. No, no, we're not going to give this one up yet. But we're also not going <laughs> to let you down. Oh, he did that video. Yeah, where the guys like <laughs> like run up the walls and stuff. Yes, he did Rick Astley's. Um, wow. We're never going to give you he, up. So he he's Rick, he Rick rolled us. He no Rick way, us really? <laughs> oh, yes. I never would have guessed that. That's amazing. He he also did uh, l- the first Laura Croft movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that? He is more like, oh boy, does at this point the Rick Astley video outshine his work in Con Air because of Rickroll? I mean, I bet you there's probably been more time le- spent watching that video in the last five I, years. I this bet movie was a huge hit, though. Yeah, but I bet I would bet a billion people have been Rickrolled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's something. Yeah, so he got a hot start between uh, between uh, Never Gonna Give You Up and then Connor, which I actually think this is like a he does a good job on this movie. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, the effects are great. the mm-hmm. The sense of space and the, pa- the pacing it's awesome. Good. Yeah, everything's awesome. And it's under two hours. That's a thing that yep. action movies should do more often. Yeah, and it's, it, there's can... there's no fat. Very very lean economic uh, story. Okay, and like we can probably this is probably time to get into Nick Cage. I will say it's also very well acted, and then that's going to come down on whether you think this is like good, bad, Nicholas Cage, bad, bad Nicholas Cage, good, good Nicholas Cage. Uh, this it's is this good, is bad. this is peak Cage. I'll say. What, what do you well, mean? Well, hold on. I don't. Are you know saying this I... is the best he's ever been in a movie? Of of the era, I think there's like a, an era of peak Cage, and. Where of good, good cage. I don't. I don't think this is. I think this is legitimately good cage. Like I, mm. uh, that accent is. It's so bad. It's. And why does he good. have it? There's no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just. I don't know. I mean, so, does it make him more likable? I think he. he I. I've heard a lot of stories. He just loves to do accents. I mean, God, he's having God fun with him. it. He's having fun with it. So yeah. I. One, I just want to point out the kind of Nick Cage chronology that okay. you can almost forget that, uh, you know, Nick Cage is an Oscar winner. <laughs> yep. And yep. This, he's, he's extremely talented. And yeah, I mean, uh, comes from the Coppola family. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he, you know, so in uh, 1995, I believe, he is in Leaving Las Vegas, critical, Shh. critical acclaim wins an Oscar and then in 1996 and 97 follows up his Oscar win uh going in order with The Rock Con Air and Face Off (laughs) which that is just a three home run game that yeah that yeah I mean that is uh there are no more worlds left to conquer I'm just gonna go out and have some fun and make some of the best and be the biggest action star in the world maybe at that time yep yeah, was yeah, anyone no. topping him in 1996, 97? No, uh, no, because this was a very this was the kind of the beginning of the end for the Schwarzenegger Stallone types. And what was Bruce, and Bruce Willis wasn't up to much really at that no. time. He he would he had Pulp Fiction, I suppose. Yeah, but he wasn't in like 
movies of this caliber. Harrison Ford was kind of hanging on, like you had Fugitive in 93 and Air Force Air one. Force One, but even then he was getting pretty old and didn't feel of the era. He didn't. Yeah, that's a good point that like Nicolas Cage went from winning an Oscar to transitioning into being for a couple years the biggest action star in Hollywood is pretty incredible. I mean, Denzel, I know he's Denzel a, Washington has been has kind of done stuff like that too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and like listen, there's plenty of Nick there's plenty of Nicolas Cage performances and role choices he's made over Look, the years. He owes, are, he owes the IRS a lot of money for that pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> he that are that's worth like I get why he's like a punchline, but like he's really good in a handful of movies and most Starring actors aren't can't say that. Yeah, yep. adaptation, adaptation. Um, you mentioned um, raising Arizona. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I don't know how I forgot about raising Arizona. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that after Face Off, he kind of goes way the opposite direction into City of Angels. Yeah, but then he's like right back into it with Snake Eyes, which is <laughs> <Yes>. also insane. <laughs> and then uh, much memed eight millimeter. Oh, much yeah. Meme. And, uh, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, to answer your question, oh, man, I don't think it's good, good, but I think it's good, bad, Nicolas Cage. Okay, well, we don't need to read his IMDb yeah. page. So can we give out some, some? can I give out two shout-outs since we're talking about the cast already anyways? Yeah, sure. so your shout-outs. So, so, so uh, give a shout-out to Colm Meany, who is uh, always good in these movies. And then I was also going to um, give a shout to MC Ganey. Yeah, Swamp Thing. Yeah, Swamp Thing. Who, um, I I guess maybe most recently people would recognize him. He's been in tons of stuff, but as Bo Crowder and Justified, and also the Naked Dude in Sideways, running yes. out of the oh, car. Oh, I didn't know that. I was gonna I was gonna bring that up in case no one else did, but yes, he's <laughs> the one of the funniest parts of any movie I've ever seen. When I saw the movie theater, I almost died. He, wow, he's, I didn't know that. He just born to be a character actor just <laughs> oh god god love him um, speaking of people dying <laughs> oh i think i know where you're going with this too. i have some deaths from con air multiple um yeah yeah Ooh. this goes way back guys all right this is a conspiracy of the highest order i think so a welder is this QAnon? Conspiracy a, a welder era. died <laughs> uh on the set of the movie uh, he was working on it. He was, a, he was welding. A model of the plane fell on him. So I think in the credits you'll see the movie's dedicated to him. But Small price to pay for good effects. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Can't make a good effect about breaking some welders. <laughs> um, 14 years later, guys, this is where it gets really interesting. It's omen, the Omen-esque. Uh, 14 years later, three men died in a plane crash. The plane they were in was the one used in Con Air's flight sequences. Oh. So that's four Con Air deaths. That like the big giant plane? Or yeah. Like yeah. It seems like that plane. plane was pretty beat up, so maybe they shouldn't have been well, flying. Well, when it was flying, they sold it to some company, and then they were out in, like, Alaska, and it crashed. Was Was it Boeing? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that uh, four, four deaths from Con Air. One during the making of it, and three 14 years later in the same plane. Wow. Hmm. I knew about the, the guy who had stuff fall on him, but I did not is, know. Is four more or less the number of people Garland Green killed less. after after, oh. <laughs> <laughs> after 
after he was rehabilitated, according to Joe. He didn't kill anybody else. Uh, mm. I, I'll say this was a uh, this was a bad year for stunt people dying in Hollywood movies. This 1997 was also the year of uh, Gone Fishing, and uh, <laughs> you love the Gone Fishing one. <laughs> the only thing I know about is that someone died doing a stunt for it, which is horrible, but yeah. but also really funny that they died for the movie Gone Fishing with Dan with Danny Glover and Joe Pesci. Uh, co-written by J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Which is a 97 release, as you said. Yep. Summer of 97, right? So blood, blood is on J.J.'s hands. <laughs> <laughs> they buried him in the mystery box. <laughs> the smoke monster got him. Um, Con Air on real life. Uh, I mentioned one thing that happened. Duff, do you have any uh, information on, does this a real thing? Oh, it'd be real. I, yeah. got, a, I got a lot of good stuff. Okay. Um. It's uh, known as the Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System. Alien? Alien? Like oh, illegal, illegal aliens. aliens. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of a bummer, but... Prim- they got to pay to check their bags? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a movie? <laughs> uh, so j was was... Uh, it was kind of a combination of various other federal programs, like... There were prisoner flights and bus rides and such before this, but in 1995, they kind of put it all under uh, one umbrella known as J-Pats. Uh, you want to know what another nickname for J-Pats is besides Con Air? What's that? Ice Air. Oh, boy. Is Con Air a term they actually use? It's a, Yeah, it's a nickname. Like Even okay. even before this movie, like the, the name, the title was taken from what they refer to it as. Uh JPAT services 42 domestic and international cities plus other major cities uh, as needed. Uh, most are federal detainees and criminal aliens. Uh, I'm just going to say I'm. this is from a U.S. Marshals page, and uh, Midnight Boys do not uh, condone referring to human beings as aliens. Yes. Uh, Thank you not. for saying that. Uh, but, yes, this is... Uh, from the page, the official U.S. Marshals page, uh, most are federal detainees and criminal aliens moving between U.S. Marshal offices. Uh, so basically, a lot of the time, it's deporting people or just, you know, taking people to Gitmo or something. Uh, I didn't find up-to-date info, but as of 1993, there has never been an escape, although there have been three failed attempts to overpower guards. Uh mm-hmm. Basically, what I, I saw one marshal say that they just try to give them a lot of food so people fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish commercial airlines did that too. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, <laughs> a couple I have a couple brief testimonials from prisoners. Uh, some prisoners get really freaked out because they call it diesel therapy, and these quotes are referring to kind of transportation in general. But one person says. Uh, one of the worst aspects about being locked up is actually being moved because if you've spent so much time behind bars, this guy says, so when I was transferred to the transfer center, it was the first time in 10 years that I was experiencing motion. And so this oh, guy got geez. guy got really sick and freaked out. Uh, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, um, because most of the time, like these people are, kind of what they say like they're lifers so a lot of the time they don't move around a lot and they probably haven't been 
transported anywhere in quite a quite a long time. Huh. Let's talk about the uh, Oscar nominated song in this movie. Yeah. None other than uh How Do I Live which lost to My Heart Will My Go Heart, On. My Heart Will Go On, yeah. Mm. So we have this song that plays really bookends the film yeah. <laughs> and it is Awkwardly. hilarious. <laughs> It is hilarious both times it plays. (laughs) It's more hilarious at the end. Can I say that I'm kind of with the little girl and being scared because a strange, like a man she's never met covered in other people's blood and dirt. With a mullet. (laughs) After the entire city of Las Vegas was destroyed (laughs) in a plane crash and a car and a a chase. Holding holding a mangled, filthy (laughs) stuffed animal. Soaking wet rabbit. And the, mo- she, the mother she has a look of pure terror when they hug. And the mother is like, "That's your father." It's like, yeah, she's kind of freaked out. I'm, I'm with her on this one. She's never met him. Yeah, ever. <laughs> it's very funny. ever. And he does the like, the like, uh, the missing dad routine where it's like, "Well, I know I was gone, but here's a thing I bought." Yeah. <laughs> so to be fair, it can't be easy to get a stuff. I, I in had jail. to, sh- I had to shank a guy to get this. Yes. <laughs> I bought this, so we're even, all right. Uh, so yes, the 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 sweeping music comes in, and we have "How Do I Live?" and this. How do I live without you? So this is a weird. I want to know. Well, that girl had about eight years to figure it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> she knew better than anyone. So they wrote. They had this song commissioned, uh, and it was written by Dionne Warren, and. Dionne Warren promised it to Leanne Rimes, and but Disney said Leanne Rimes is too young. It's too no relation to Busta Rhymes, just to be clear. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Leanne Rimes, who was fourteen years old at the time, Disney thought she was too young to be singing this love song, and so they got uh, Trisha Yearwood. Uh, that that's Mrs. Garth Brooks, correct? She's married to someone in country. Uh, who it is? Yeah, I don't she, know she's married to she's married to Garth Brooks. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Power couple. Uh, yeah. So so Trisha the mov- the version you hear in the movie is the Trisha Yearwood version, but then Leanne Rhymes' uh, father slash manager uh, got mad and they released her version to pop radio, and so you had kind of they were both hits but it was the same song and it's 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 bizarre even more bizarre is that neither appears on the official conair soundtrack that is what? strange because the oh, trish yearwood one was nominated for uh an oscar right yeah but i think neither artist wanted to relinquish those sales that i think they they both wanted people to buy their albums so it's uh, okay. so it's a weird situation where you had and i I want to say that the Leanne Rhymes version is the the bigger hit. Yes, for sure. And but that's the one not featured in the movie. But Trisha Yearwood's version was the one nominated for an Oscar, and then neither on the soundtrack. It's just a weird marketing snafu thing. So we've learned that this movie there's three songs that can sum it up. It is "How Do I Live," it is "I Have the Whole World in My Hands," and it's uh, "Never Going to Give You Up." Um, and one one other uh, very crucial musical aspect is there are a lot of screeching guitars on the soundtrack. Oh, 
Okay. And, and it rules. <laughs> this soundtrack is so bad. It works. It works. But could you imagine if someone gave you, like, the Con Air soundtrack on, like... <laughs> to like listen to without the movie uh fun fact on that uh there's two composers <laughs> to do this movie one was uh mark mancina he started working on the score but he left halfway to do <laughs> and then Carl- carlos mencia took over for him <laughs> he left halfway through to do speed Two cruise control <laughs> good and then trevor rabin uh finished the score well, so i don't know which well, one? Uh, the good news is that the soundtrack is on Spotify. So, <laughs> <laughs> could you let us uh, let her maybe do a little research and let our listeners know which song is uh, is the best song to listen? So, to fun fun fact about Rob is that Rob, when he goes to bars, will if there's a like a Touch Tunes <laughs> jukebox thing, he yeah. will he will put on uh, Duel of the Fates from The Phantom Menace. I've, I've witnessed this. It's really yep. bad. And uh, I think I think the Con Air needs to work under the rotation. Like, it a, might not be bad like just, just find someone, so, find a track with the most like... <laughs> well, Joe's taught me because Joe now goes to bars with touch tunes. And what do you play, Joe? Well, I did. This is not an original idea of mine, but uh, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton is a <laughs> very funny one to play. And he yelled, shut the windows <laughs> before it played. Um, another fun uh, musical note huh? about this, uh, the Kid Rock song, or Senator Rock song, American <laughs> Badass, was inspired by Cameron Post's character in Con Air. Come on. No, no way. Get real. Uh, How could you keep that from us until now? Man. That's not true, is it? It's true. Do we have to demerit Con Air for being semi-responsible for Kid Rock? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to demerit I don't know. It. it makes sense, doesn't it? I, where did I you mean, find, where did you read this? I don't know. I, I find fun facts all over the place. Uh, I do not cite them. Uh, no. well, I want it's, it to be true, I think. It's yeah, got to be true. It's, I read that's it. canon. That's canon. Um. I have some quick questions for you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, just off top of your head, right? I'm snapping my fingers because that's how quick you got to be. Um, Thanos over here. Uh, all right. Who's your favorite character? Joe, you already told us it's Scarlet Green. For sure. <laughs> uh, I, well, I want to say Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Swamp Thing was was almost my answer. Yeah. Uh, I I will. This is a little bit of an aside. I don't think he's my favorite character, but I do think that a lot of the movie would fall apart without Malkovich. Yeah, I, Cyrus. I, is uh, we my haven't favorite. talked enough about him. He's awesome. I like Buff Malkovich. He's yeah. He's like everyone else. Like he. I mean, because I think the other people aren't as maybe except for Buscemi aren't as good an actor as him. Like he knows he's he's menacing but funny and he's scary but likable like he he packs a lot in and i don't think other actors could do that like it's he's he's really kind of the glue that holds the whole thing together he's very good and also there's like a little thing i love is that he's always telling people what to do so like these dudes are like sweating and they're like just doing all this work and he's like there's no sweat on him he's just wandering around telling people what to do like he's an elite bad guy he's actually a cyrus the virus needs to be talked about more in great movie villains he is a fantastic villain and that actually reminds me of 
of one of my favorite lines that is not from Poe. It's from when Cyrus says, you've proven to be a most useful mammal. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he has a great oh. death, too. Okay, that's oh, the other thing I was going to say. He dies like like a Roger Rabbit character would die. Yeah. <laughs> he gets hooked to a moving fire truck, ramped up to the top on the ladder, run through a bridge, and then... And then, apparently- and then he lands on power lines and is electrocuted. <laughs> then he lands at a construction, like some construction onto a conveyor. Apparently, there's a quarry or something on the Las Vegas Strip. And this huge weight comes down on his head. Yeah, you really do expect like a boing or something. Yeah, they leave no doubt that listen, Cyrus, Cyrus is, ain't coming back. Um, yeah, so that's Cyrus is definitely my favorite as well. Uh, all right. One more. This is probably the most important question. Okay. What's more memorable to you in this movie? Nicholas Cage's hair, Steve Buscemi's teeth, or John Cusack's suit? <laughs> I think the answer is Nick Cage's hair. Yeah, Nick Cage's hair for sure. As a kid, it would be uh, the teeth because I think that's the first like role I really remember seeing him in, and it, he just is so scary as like seeing seeing him he's just so creepy looking i couldn't get over it as an adult <laughs> john cusack suit with his socks and sandals through the whole movie he's wearing socks with sandals i did so, an entire action film so this this is a a good lead in to our uh our uh recurring segment hey it's 1997. Yeah, yes. it's a big suit too. It's- it it is it is David Byrne's suit from Stop Making Sense. Well, yes. yeah. So I, I I think I've shared these with you a few times, like that movie premiere Twitter account. Yes, yeah. that shows the picture. Yeah. yeah, and like the 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 massive jackets that and shirts that men wore in the late 90s and early 2000s. It really is incredible. Yeah, and yes, uh, I don't even think I noticed the sandals until a few years ago. I didn't yeah. notice the sandals, and I've seen this movie 10 times. Yeah, I didn't notice least. it until I was watching it with, uh, with uh, my wife, and she was like, he's got so- he wears socks and sandals. And I was like, what? And now she's like, he was wearing socks and sandals. I'm like, with the suit? And every time we watched it, we looked for his feet. Every time, no matter what happens in the movie, he is wearing the guy, the guy socks and sandals. And uh, Duncan, the guy even ribs him about. He's like, oh, he's probably all recycling his sandals or something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand that line. <laughs> I mean, it, does, it, actually, it doesn't make any more sense. but It's it's silly because the reveal of John Cusack's character starts with his socks and sandals. The camera pans up from the ground. It's so you t- see his... To reinforce Joe's point, it's to show what a pussy liberal he is. Yep. Yeah. Do you think that maybe they told him that we're, we're never going to see your feet on the screen, so just whatever's comfortable? I mean, as a man who gets, a, uh, you know, I take a lot of flack for my croc wearing around the house. Uh, you know, listen, all I got to say is look at John Cusack. Does John Cusack Sharp. have plantar fasciitis or whatever Yeah, you have? maybe Vince Larkin has plantar fasciitis and he needs to uh, uh, so, make sure he's got some comfortable shoes so, on. So uh, this is not about 1997, but uh, one side note is – how much cocaine was on the table when they're like, hey, wh- who should we get for this action movie? Uh, John Cusack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's good, though. Like, it, he's good. It works. It's just, it's still weird, like, to me. Like, it is this before he had kind of, because he did, like, he did for a while do these, like, similar roles than he has in, has in this. <sighs> yeah. 
I guess. Like, like, um, like gross, not, uh, gross Point Blank was before this. Well, that's a little bit different, but you know, yeah, it's a lot kind different. of. It's it's just a like. Um, it's a slightly darker version of movies that he always made. It's just yeah, Midnight Garden of Good and Evil, kind of like cop a, in that. Yeah, but that's a drama. That's Thin Red Line. It's it's just still so you know John Cusack, who's primarily known as kind of like a teen heartthrob, say anything. Uh, yeah, it's just weird to me. Anyway. I mean, it's it works, but it, I agree, it is a it is a strange. Is but a, I, I think it's Joe's point. They need to have this like. You know, we have another thing is this is kind of I know we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but there's also a weird era where you have like speed was a few years before this where you have uh, you have like an action hero who doesn't like only time he fires a gun is that his his like partner to shoot him in the leg. Yeah, you kind of have like these like these action stars that are not the 80s action stars um, that, uh, you know, these ain't your daddy's action stars. It it was a weird your mama's action stars. So it was a weird in between period, and I think that you can you can kind of mark you know that it was it was post the kind of eighties meathead action, but it was before the Matrix and that Hong Kong hand to hand influence. Kind of like Die Hard between Die Hard and the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, like uh, that's a good rough approximation. Where you kind of have these more sensitive man action stars. Yeah, like, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, actually. Uh, um, another another 1997 hallmark is uh, Vietnam was the most uh, recent loss to, to reference that those guys get mad about. Yep, yep. Uh, oh, so I, I think I know the answer to this, guys, but would you say that Conair is Midnight Boys approved? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. If, it's I I'm I probably like it less than you guys, but I still really like it. If that I mean it's fine. it is stupid as hell, but insanely awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I I'm I'm curious to go back. I kind of want to rewatch The Rock and Face Off now and kind of see like are those like as economical as Con Air? I I think The Rock is pretty great. Okay. Um it's been a it, long time. It, it has the, a lot of the same good qualities as con air um the the one thing i think that is a little cringy is it has a little bit of gay panic in the beginning with the okay. hairdresser uh but yeah I, I i'm all in on the rock well this movie has the prisoner who gets her dress yes <laughs> and is pretty excited about that I, I will say though they seem to be pretty accepting they absolutely do which yeah, I remember Nicholas Cage slaps her. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Instead of he like Paul's about to punch and then he changes it to a slap. It's like oh boy, what a terrible time to be alive. Nineteen forty seven. Oh man, what what a movie! What a what a what a trip Con Air is. Um, highly recommended. Imagine imagine in nineteen ninety seven when. If you were so inclined, you could see this movie, exit the theater, and then buy a ticket to go see Face Off at the same multiplex. Awesome. Yeah, it's like two weeks later, right? No, it's Three the. Weeks later? I mean, at at some point, yeah, the same. Yeah, I think Face Off awesome. was two weeks later. Sorry, it's a treat is what it is. It, it's uh, the greatest box office weekend in history, right there. <laughs> um. All right, guys. Anything else on Con Air? Nope. Well, uh, up next, we're gonna we're gonna kind of 
Sim- a little bit similar movie. <laughs> similar. We're going to take a different 90. We didn't want to do, we knew we could do a bunch of action films, but we sort of wanted to kind of get different types of films. So we got My Best Friend's Wedding, which uh, was is my pick. And I'll be honest, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever seen this full movie. I've only seen like parts of it on TBS. I've never seen a single second. Of it. I have not seen any of it. Uh, I actually just today realized that it did not star Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, uh, what uh, were we I, thinking of? <laughs> uh, I was think I was thinking of Runaway Bride. Oh, okay. Which yeah. uh, so uh, this who has, isn't it? <laughs> this, Julie Roberts and they has this the all I know from this is I say a little prayer for you. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, this this has uh, Cameron Diaz and Dermot Mulroney. Oh, it's the poor man's Richard Gere. He, yeah, uh, Dermot Mulroney sounds like a terrible alias someone made up, but I guess it's a name. <laughs> it's what Richard Gere checks into hotels as. <laughs> Let's be honest, this was not in our wheelhouse when we were lads of 13 to 15 or whatever. I, I suppose. So uh, unless, I'm, I'm, unless it showed up on HBO with an N, then we um, watched <laughs> it. Dude, even a BN, I'm going to... <laughs> See what happens. You know, he's got spare time for that. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm going in with an open mind. I have no preconceived sure, notions. Sure, yeah. I, I I've been to my best friend's weddings before. Uh, also, listeners, uh, as tradition, we like to uh, keep a, a slot open for uh, our listeners to vote. So if you go to a freepodcast dot com slash nineteen ninety seven. You will be able to uh, vote on what 1997 summer movie we should do, which, I mean, listen, there's going to be a lot of good options on there. So take a look at that and vote, and uh, we will be back next week. (laughs) 